Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Next up we have John Green, who's going to be giving his workshop from the HSC Virtual Series Congress in August. This workshop looks at how we can shift gears out of the lockdown and into the new world of health and safety. Uh, good afternoon everyone. I'm never quite sure if the gra- graveyard shift is a, is a privilege or a, or a comment on something else, but never mind. Um, let me just begin this with a couple of caveats, if I can. Um, firstly, 30 minutes is not long enough uh, to take you through the a detailed explanation of the process of shifting both an organisation and the individuals within an organisation from the existing safety mindset to a mindset that I think is required to meet um, the demands of the 21st century workplace. All right, so this is a bit of a teaser. For anyone who wants more information on on it, however, can contact me outside of this afterwards um, or connect with me on LinkedIn and more than happy to take them through a bit more of a detailed um, analysis. I think everyone who's involved in safety uh, is involved in safety for the right reasons. In other words, I think everyone tries to do the right thing. Um, But I think what's happened is that some of that right thing is no longer appropriate for the world of work that we find ourselves in. It doesn't add the sort of value that it used to add um, uh, decades ago. Um, And I also don't want to minimize the efforts that we've made over the last 30 or so years in reducing incident rates in organizations because you know, the effort has been tremendous and the results are there for everyone to see. We've never seen incident rates as low as they currently are in organizations across the world. And, and we should be proud of that. However, we can't say the same for serious injuries and fatalities. We haven't seen the same sorts of improvements in, in those events. And yet we still seem to be locked into this notion that focusing on negativity, focusing on negative events is somehow how predictive of the large, um, complex events occurring. Uh, And I don't think that's true anymore. So I I think that we need to have the courage as a profession to ditch the tools that we've used um, for for decades um, if they're not serving as as appropriate anymore. And I've been in safety for over 40 years, so I've seen things come and go. Um, I spent my first 20 20 years or so um, using those tools, using those very tools, tools to improve uh, safety within the organizations I work for. But I've spent the last 10 years being increasingly disillusioned with the effectiveness of those tools. Um, They don't seem appropriate anymore. And in fact, they actually may be standing in our way of making further improvements. Um, And we seem to have some sort of difficulty over agreeing what might be next. In fact, We've got a dis- I think we've got a difficulty agreeing what safety is in the first place. Now, I'm not expecting you to answer this question just now, but you might want to think about it. Um, if your CEO stopped you in the lift and you had a 90, you know, a 90 second elevator pitch to make to him, not very likely he'd stop you in the lift just now. Well, we what you know, what's your definition of safety? Not what's your definition of safe. Like everyone's got a definition of safe, you know, a safe journey. Um, a safe place. But what's safety? What's the practice? How do you define the practice of creating a safe organization? Um, I think one of our problems is we haven't act, we can't actually agree on what that might be. And unless we can nail down some sort of reasonable definition of that, then I think we might struggle with to agree or even agree to disagree on some of the other stuff. And if you Google 
the word safety, um, then you come up with all sorts of you know, negative images, images about control and constraint, images that reflect the sorts of colors we use in our safety signs, Im images about stopping doing things, about protecting the worker from work, you know, all, all associated with, with negativity. And our brand, whether we like it or not, is heavily associated with negativity. If you were to do the same with Apple, um, you know, the Apple brand has got a very positive um, physiological effect on people. It, uh, it promotes disruption, it promotes innovation, it promotes, you know, technical excellence and quality. I'm not quite sure we could say the same for safety. So I think one of the things that we have to do as we move forward is, is perhaps get a better de definition on what we consider safety to be. Because one of the issues is that for many organizations, safety has become solely about the elimination of accidents and nothing else. Um, and I have to wonder whether or not we have, we have replaced a really difficult question, which is what is safety like in the, organization that, in the organizations that we work for, with a really easy question, which is how many accidents have we had? And if we have done that, then I worry that we've created an, all, an awful lot of really dangerous assumptions around how we do safety, uh, how we manage safety in the organizations uh, that we work for. Um, American presidents are probably not the people to quote at the moment, um, but I do feel kind of like an American president, Lincoln, actual fact, who at the height of the American Civil War talked about uh, the dogmas of the quiet past being inadequate to the stormy present, um, and, and 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 renewing and renewing anew um, the way that you fix problems. Lincoln's proposition was that the problems America faces after the the American Revolution um, are not going to be the same as the problems they faced before, and they're going to need different sorts of uh, solutions. I think safety is in a similar position just now. I think the problems that we face require different solutions to the solutions that have been so effective for us um, in the last couple of decades. Now, this is a graph that pretty much everyone will be familiar with. It's the standard graph for TRIFR or for DIFR or lost time accidents showing this performance asymptote, showing this incredible improvement in performance over time, only to plateau um, and become so difficult to, to make any performance improvement in. Uh, we become so focused on accidents and preventing them that I think we've lost sight of everything else that might be important. Um, the sorts of approaches that we've taken in the last, uh, in the last couple of decades are suitable for you know when a wheel falls off a cart or a simple machine breaks, but they aren't or they can't respond to the difficulties of the modern world of work. They're no use, for instance, when you're dealing with the rubble of a burning oil platform or when two airliners almost uh, collide with one another. This cause and effect model that we use, this reductionism um, that we use, is no longer effective in the volatile, um, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world of work that we find ourselves in nowadays. Um, we need to stop relying on theories that have their basis in an understanding of how the world works almost 300 years ago. And one of the prevalent beliefs in safety is that an accident-free operation 
is a safe operation. Uh, now, I, I understand why we focus on accident rates. I think there are two main reasons. The first is a moral moral imperative, and I get that. Um, you know, Every organization I've worked for, I've willed the accident rates to be as low as possible, and I've regretted every single incident that I've ever had to investigate. Um, and I, I know we all would rather work for organizations that are incident-free, but I don't think that's a realistic proposal. The second reason, uh, I believe that why we think there's a correlation between the number of high frequency uh, and low high frequency low consequence events and the number of low frequency high consequence ones. It relates to this performance asymptote. So we think there's some sort of predictive capacity in looking at high frequency low consequence events as being predictors of the most serious events that we're trying to avoid. There's this kind of battle of apples theory. You know, it's, a probability, it's based on probability. Um, and there is indeed a relationship, but it's not the one we think. Um, we seem to believe that organizations that have lots of accidents are the organizations that have lots of serious accidents, when in fact, modern research shows the reverse to be true. Serious accidents don't occur in projects where you have lots of little accidents. They come out of the blue without any warning. Um, across different industries, across countries, across time, there is a pattern that shows up. In time places, organizations and industry where there are low incident numbers, fatalities do go up. And when there are high levels of incidents, fatalities go down. Now, I think many individuals think of safety one and safety two or traditional safety and safety differently as being mutually exclusive, that you can't have one and the other, that it's one or the other. It's safety one or it's safety two. It's traditional safety or it's safety differently. When we were originally building the architecture for safety differently and the playbook for safety differently, it was always about keeping those elements of the traditional approach that would continue to work in the modern world of work. So we, we would continue to have rules. We would continue to have um, investigation uh, programs and processes. Um, and I like to think of a, a kind of story that, that drives us home. So I want you to imagine that you're, you're, you're seriously overweight, yeah? And you go to the doctor and you say to the doctor, I am going to run the London Marathon or I'm going to do the Ironman um, in Australia. And the doctor looks at you, uh, 27 stone of you, and says, yeah, you ain't doing anything. You ain't doing anything like that. You're grossly overweight. You're carrying unnecessary weight. You think, OK, well, I'll go and do something about it. So you go away and 12 months later, you come back and you've lost all of that weight. You're down to a fighting 11 stones. And you say to the doctor, I'm 11 stones now, doctor, fighting fit, ready for the marathon. And the doctor says, you can't do the marathon. You're not fit. You're not resilient. So the next stage of your journey is building fitness, building capacity, building resilience. You have the same goal in mind as you had when you were trying to lose weight. Um, so those two characteristics, those two um, strategies are complementary. And, and in essence, I think that's what many organizations have done. They've lost needless excess, excess weight in other words, the accidents that they've had, which are preventable, preventable and they don't come back. But the next stage isn't about 
more prevention, more control, more constraint. It's about building capacity. It's about building fitness. So you have the same aim in mind, but you have two very different complementary strategies that um, seek to achieve that aim. So when we were trying to get organizations to change the way they thought about safety, um, it was necessary to build a mental model of what we were changing from. And this, I think, is a reasonable description of how traditional safety sees the organizational world. The, the system is safe. You know, if you could just get the dumbasses that work for you to follow the perfect rules that you give them, then everything would just be fine. That safety is the absence of accidents. So there's an assumption that in the absence of its opposite, we have what we want. So if we're not having accidents, we're not having accidents because we have created safety. That accidents happen because of unsafe acts or deviations from plan. That variability is a threat. You know, there is this Taylorism, this one way of working, that despite what HR tell you about people being your greatest assets, they are in fact um, your most significant liability. The procedural compliance, uh, sticking to the rules is mandatory and uh, the school of psychology that, it, that approaches this particular model is one of how do we change people? Normally via uh, systems of sanction and reward. How do we get people to behave the way that we think they should behave in order to get the sort of outcomes uh, that we want? If you want to change it, then this is what we had suggested changing it to. The, the system isn't safe in and of itself, but it provides a framework through which your staff, your people can create safety for you. Safety isn't the absence of something, it's the presence or the capacity uh, to develop resilience. It's the ability, in fact, of the organization to handle change on a daily basis and to recover and control when things happen. Accidents happen when resources are insufficient to meet demand, and those resources might be time, they might be people, they might be training, but actually rarely um, is it because someone chooses to have an accident. The but rather than variability being a threat, it's got an upside. It's inevitable. People will adapt. And the upside of variability is innovation, smarter ways of working, indeed safer ways of working, ways that we would never have thought as the planners of work, that the actual doers of work come up with on a daily basis. And rather than restrict the choices of people through, through making compliance mandatory, um, we need to recognize and support people to adapt successfully because only people can adapt, accommodate, compensate, absorb, and respond to change in real life. Systems are incapable of doing that. And with those changes, um, the three principles of safety differently, the five principles of HOP uh, came into existence. The people are the solution, they're not the problem. Safety is the presence of positive. It's not the absence of negatives. And safety is an ethical responsibility and not a bureaucratic activity. Um, if that's the way organizations are going to change, then how do safety practitioners and professionals within those organizations change with it? And um, I've shamelessly stolen some of this work from uh, a friend of mine, David Proven, who's a PhD student at Griffith University. Um, and I particularly like this. this model and there are other models 
are available. Um, so you've got the competency model in IOSH. Um, you've got a bunch of stuff that um, Anna Keen and Acre Frameworks are doing. But I, I like this model um, because it ties and it links professional practices with organizational purpose. So I think it allows to see it, it allows professionals to see how they might develop um, within a, a greater um, within the greater organizational good rather than in, in isolation. So I think the traditional safety practitioner purpose is to support line management to implement safety processes and practices that, that deliver and are aligned with organizational safety objectives. Um, and I, I think that would be the reasonable a reasonable description of what a safety practitioner within a traditional organization uh, does. And if the organizational focus is on controlling hazards that face the business in the present time, and monitoring performance through counting unexpected, unwanted events, and where line management uh, and safety staff make the decisions about safety, about leadership, and about culture, then I think the professional practices associated with that and the activities that you would expect to see a safety professional partaking in are those on this slide. So supporting task-based identifications of hazards and risks, you know, the, the whole risk management process. Um, controls for task-based risks and processes. Uh, safety incident and compliance reporting to light management and external bodies because that's how performance is monitored. Um, arbitrating between stakeholders, prom promoting a stop work authority, um, which is the which is the, the kind of the last line of defense. So when all else fails, you're relying on human beings to stop work because they think it's unsafe. The problem with that, of course, is that there are many if there are many different definitions of safety, there are many de definitions of unsafety. Um, that doesn't seem to matter very much before an accident occurs, but it matters a lot after, afterwards, um, when everyone's decisions are drawn into question. Uh, and the individual involved in the incident not only is morally bankrupt because he's made a poor decision about working, uh, he's also made a poor decision about whether something is safe or unsafe. So you have this small accountability before an event which blows up into this huge accountability um, afterwards. And lastly, the, 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 the role of the safety professional is to develop and promote safety culture improvement programs, which are, are nearly always based upon an outmoded model of, of leadership um, and an outmoded model of where the power should sit in an organization. Moving forward, um, a safety two practitioner has a very different view of the world and a very different um, group of tasks um, and, be and behaviors. I see the safety two practitioner purpose as being much more about creating foresight about the changing shape of risk and facilitating action before harm occurs. In a, in a safety one world, we, we kind of play this, this giant game of whack-a-mole. So an accident pops up and we hit it with a big mallet and it goes away. And we think we have somehow solved or cured the organization of this particular ill, only for it to pop up somewhere else a little bit later on. Um, but we, but our prime focus um, and our raison d'etre is responding to these events after they've happened. Um, in a safety two world, it's much more about 
facilitating action before before harm occurs. Um, and if the organisation then is focused on uh, anticipation, it's focused on learning, and it monitors its gaps in understanding and maintains a curiosity about actual work as opposed to um, work as imagined, and is prepared to be surprised by what it finds, then our activity is safety individuals and our contributions change. Um, and they become, they become this. So our role is much more about being curious about how work is really done as opposed to how it's imagined in the planning phases um, and to update models of risk as a result. We, we need to accept that local adaption occurs, um, that there are um, goal conflicts um, on the front line and that there's a, a need to balance job demands um, rather than pretend that doesn't happen which I think is it goes on a little bit just now. I think what we need to do is understand it does happen and support the front line uh, to achieve successful outcomes. Um, we need to understand and assist in reducing that goal conflict, which exists between cost, safety and production. Um, we need to check system weaknesses, monitor internal and external threats to model new scenarios. And I think COVID-19 was a, was a superb example of where organizations organizations need to be in order to satisfactorily exist and survive in the modern world of work. Um, certainly an organization that I work for uh, found it difficult in the initial stages to deal with COVID-19 because it was very traditional organization, command and control, one way of fixing things that would be globally applied. Uh, very quickly, we, we uh, the organization realized that we needed local solutions applied within a global framework and we needed decision making at the local level rather than made in some remote headquarters because the nature of COVID, the nature of managing it was very much a, a regional, uh, very much a moving feast and required an organization to be highly adaptive. Um, and we need to facilitate learning processes from routine operations, that's normal work, as well as unexpected events, whether they are positive or negative. So we need to learn from normal work. We need to learn from what goes well. And we also need to continue to learn from what doesn't go well. But the focus is on where we can learn rather than where an event fits in some sort of um, regulatory tapestry. So simply because something requires to be reported to the um, to the regulator doesn't mean that it's a source of considerable learning. So the focus is on learning rather than rather than on the outcome. Now, now most people ask, so what do I do? Um, if I want to start this in my organization, what is it I can do tomorrow? And on this slide, there are 16 boxes, four of which I've highlighted in red. And if you wanted to kind of start experimenting with this approach in your organization, it would be the one in, ones in red that I would ask you to start with. Um, the other 16 you can, you can work through um, as, as you get to them. But the, the, but the four in red are the four that we would routinely ask you to start with. Um, so just to sum up, and it is a whistle-stop tour through it, I think people need to once again engage with the work that they're about to undertake and not with the systems that are designed to control it. The bureaucracy that we've created over the, the past 
past decades, um, not only in organisations, it also restricts the mental agility of those that it's meant to help the workers. We need a new era in safety, an era where human beings create safety, continuing to do what we've always done is not going to lead to different outcomes. And it's really doubtful that we're going to be able to break through the performance asymptote on safety progress with those tools. That doesn't mean we abandon everything we've done so far. Much of it, as I've said, has been highly successful and productive in reducing unnecessary injury. And whatever we do moving forward, it can be at the expense of increasing injury rates. But we must realise that continuing to do what we've always done will do little more than whole is steady. This new era then calls for a form of governance that sends power over many decisions back to the shop floor, back to the projects. It realizes that people exist as a source of diversity, insight, and wisdom about safety, not purely as sources of risk. It calls for governance that trusts people and mistrusts bureaucracy. I think it's only right that, the, that this profession, my profession, should examine and assess the tools that it has at its disposal. And if those tools are no longer appropriate for the challenges that we face, then we must have the courage to leave them behind, no matter how well they may have served us in the past and move forward with a different approach. The way that we currently do safety does not fit with the requirements of the fourth industrial revolution. But people and organizations can change when they're immersed in the right environments as cultural factors, critical thinking and curiosity shape their thoughts. This will set the tone and direction, hopefully, for others to follow. I think the question for every organization and every individual is not, do you want to do this? But when do you want to get started? And that's it, Paul, a whistle-stop tour. Hello. And on time. Always. <laughs> Great stuff, John. Thank you so much. Um, just jumping on the app. So let's uh, go through all the questions. Well, there's loads. <laughs> let's start at the top, shall we? Mr. Health and Safety, definitions usually starts with negative. Yep. Uh, well, it does, uh, whether we like it or not our profession is tied to negativity. Um, but I don't think it has to be. Uh, when I started in safety in, in, in the mid-70s, the role that I had was all about promoting business efficiency, about uh, reaching, you know, helping big business reach decisions which were both, sa both safe and successful, helping businesses build capacity through safety cases. It was all about dealing with the positive and somewhere along the line, we got a little bit lost. We got a little bit hijacked. Um, safety isn't the absence of unwanted outcomes. Safety is the presence of, is the ability to get things right. Mm. Unsafety is, is things that go wrong. You know, so we've kind of got our definitions on the head. So whilst we are locked into this, this kind of negativity at the moment, I don't think it, all, it hasn't always been like that. And it doesn't have to always be like that in the future either. Another one from health and safety. We're going to say Mrs. Health and Safety because it could be a man, it could be a woman. We're not sure. We still haven't found out. Nobody's getting the bottle of champagne for exploring who this is. Uh, we have a terrible PR department. 
Uh, really? Which, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it says. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Yeah, we do. We, we do. And, and that, that's a problem for us because when we, when you, like I say, when you Google um, safety, you get all these negative images up. Um, you know, so that, that, that's spreading into the public domain. So that's what people think of us. I remember Anna, Anna Keane doing an interview with people in London, stopping them in, in the street, asking them, what did they think about health and safety? And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the sort of profession you would want your kids to move into, you know, <laughs> judging by, by what the, you know, the, the, the capital public were telling us. You're right. We have a terrible, we have a terrible image, an awful brand, but it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah, yeah. There's a, he said that. I think we need to rebrand it. So, um, and there was, uh, I think that was a pun at James McPherson with rebranding safety. So. Well, I was wondering <laughs> it might be James or it might be <laughs> Sam, but there you go. Yeah. No, he's, unless James has got two accounts. Okay. Uh, uh, love this metaphor, John. Use uh, uses about losing weight, then getting fitter, build capacity off a of leaner weight. Yeah, it was wicked. Um, yeah, stories. People remember stories. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Linda Parkinson, I absolutely agree that it needs to be a blend of techniques, not following one path or the other in a blinkered way. This means taking an objective and evidence-based view of what works, making sure we are on the progressive, we are on the progressiveness in our thinking and most importantly, being willing to change. Yeah. I, I get, I get upset um, at uh, divisions within the safety world. Uh, I don't think they're necessary. Um, like I say, when we started building the architecture for this, it was not about creating one set of beliefs that were diametrically opposed to the existing set of beliefs and saying you can only be in one, one church other. It wasn't about that. It was about creating a platform where options could be raised and we could have you know, grown up debate about what worked and what didn't. What, what mm -hmm. didn't. Um, and I, but I also got upset at, at that those who say it's not necessary to change at all, the world of work has changed beyond recognition. I, mean, I started work in 1974. Mm. The world of work has changed beyond recognition, and yet very little has changed in the world of safety, which begs its own right as to why mm. we haven't changed at all. Um, the truth around what's safe and what isn't has changed over those 40 years, you know? So I think at the very least, we owe it to ourselves to explore the possibility that there are better ways of doing what we currently do. Mm. Um, uh, and the evidence for that will, will accumulate over the coming years, I have absolutely no doubt. But again, I don't want us to get locked into this, this numbers game where you know, numbers can be misinterpreted, they can mislead, they can deceive, and they can lead to strategies which are utterly inappropriate. I don't want us to get locked into that either. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm heavily wedded to Rose's ideas uh, around storytelling, around, you know, the human experience. Um, and I think it's a blend of those two approaches that we need. But it, as I say, it's not safety one or safety two. It's, it's one and two. Um, you know, and I really need to drive that home because it, 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 when you start to get divisions uh, within a profession like this, those divisions can consume an awful lot of energy that otherwise could be uh, pushed towards moving the profession forward. 
Yeah, this is a really good question from health and safety, actually, because I've mentioned this before about creating a utopian of the two, right? So it's the different perspectives, stances, views of safety. 1.9 and 2.0 is very different. In your opinion, can we say that a bit best of both and this is the way to go? It's a good question. Absolutely. Uh, look, there, there will be elements of the current approach that will continue to be used. So it's a nonsense to say that safety two, safety differently, hop, and you could squeeze a cigarette paper between them as definitions. Mm. It's, it's wrong to say that there are no rules. There will be rules. There will be rules around high-risk work. There will be rules that make sense to people that will be applying high-risk situations. So we will have rules. We will still investigate um, things that go wrong because you can learn from them. You will not just investigate things that go right, and we will invest. We will look at normal work because in normal work, the gap between work is done and work is imagined. That's where all the messy detail that lead to serious events. That's where it all sits, and we will obsess about how we go to work in high risk situations. Mm. So it's not about no rules. It's about decluttering those existing rules, so we have rules left that are, that are appropriate. It's about changing um, our. our the view we have on the events that we look at. So we investigate events from which we can learn, mm. not just events that happen to sit in one regulatory category and not another. Mm. So it's not about throwing baby and bathwater out. You know, an awful lot of what we've done so far has been invaluable and, and we can't get rid of it and we wouldn't want to get rid of it. So it's a blend of the two. But I would say um, it's about doing things differently and it's about doing different things. Mm. That's the that's the sort of blend that we need to achieve. Have a look. Uh, <clears throat> Adam Johns. John, what are the top three personal characteristics that you think are most important for safety professionals? And what are the top three areas of science that safety professionals should uh, improve their knowledge in? Well, um, must have worked in aviation, Adam. Uh, no, that's a that's an idiot. That's an aviation professional's byline. So I think curiosity. I think, um, and people would say that's not a characteristic. It's an activity, I suppose. But I, I think curiosity is incredibly important. So that ability um, to be surprised by what you see and be unbiased um, about the situations that you move into. So that that lack of bias and that curiosity. Is, is important. Courage, I think, is really important. Mm. Um, and humility. I think all of those three are, are linked. Um, if I was to suggest areas for safety professionals to do a bit of research on, I think psychology is incredibly important. Neuroscience is incredibly important. But back to that curiosity point, I think philosophy is incredibly important. Now, the ability to frame a question which is you know, devoid of your own personal biases I think is really, really important. Um, so, I, you know, don't go into, don't research engineering, don't go down the uh, the legal route. If you, I think, if you want to be ready and capable for um, safety as it's likely to be practiced, then understand how understand the limitations of the mind, understand the difficulties of decision making that people face on a daily basis understand the conflicts that they have to resolve, understand the biases that you bring to, to helping re resolve that, and understand, understand the need to have not all answers, but better questions. 
Okay, I'm going to two more, Dana, if I may, because there's a lot of questions. Uh, Peter Stubbs, John, great presentation. Thank you. There is no specific reference in the model to empowering people to make safe decisions through competency, training, skills, and knowledge. I can see that this is implied across a number of the focus areas. Can you advise whether it fits in and how you see it? So I think there is a, a, a difference between skills and competencies. So I, I think we have in those models accepted that the technical skills are a gimme um, and that you will have them at the appropriate level for uh, the, um, the level in the organization that you sit. Uh, competencies are slight, slightly different. So the types of competency models that we would add to the slides that I've already given and time unfortunately meant that we, we didn't have the, the ability to into the detail, the competencies that are in the Irish framework are the competencies that are in the acres. So you're, again, you're talking about human competencies around courage, human competencies around challenging, human competencies around empathy, all of which are required in a different mix depending on the level within the organisation that you, you fit. You might not want, for instance, a huge amount of courage in someone who's just joined the organisation um, at, at a junior level, but you might want a huge amount of courage for someone who's trying to do this in the boardroom for instance mm. um so that's the sort of that's a sort of mix happy to take that that question offline as well and and deal with it a bit more detail because mm. i do recognize that you know 30 minutes just wasn't enough to go through some of the stuff that i wanted to cover just give me the elbow to give you a longer uh, a longer session not next, at all I mean. mate <laughs> not at all let me wrap up with the final question that i've got here there's some great comments as well so uh um, I'm sure we'll get Elliot to forward these to you. And like I say, get in contact with John. He's, he's always on LinkedIn and uh, an email. Let me get this. Uh, it, it is anecdotal that there in the presentation, you said that safety has grays because it is true. And on that depends the ability of a professional to adjust the requirements to do things in legal, corporate, and all other compliance. It is normally black or white, and the approach to implementing safety in this lack of gray creates a rejection of safety 1.0 techniques. Yeah, so in legal terms, it's called black letterism. So it's, you know, it's one or the other. It's a binary decision. It's safe or unsafe, whatever. And, and that has, I think, largely... Um, the approach that's been taken. Uh, you either follow the rules or you don't. Um, you can't, there is no permission to adapt at a local level. Um, it's you're compliant or you're non-compliant. It's legal or it's not. Um, but that's not where we work. We work in those, those bloody areas uh, that exist between um, work is done and work is imagined. And, and work is messy. And by messy, I don't mean it's untidy. I mean, it, it it goes off in tangents and it, you know, it, it's just. Mm. Difficult. Yeah, can pull one. Um, and so, yeah, we do have to, we do have to learn to operate in those degree because the reality is that's, that's where work is done. Mm. 
Bang on. Well, this, uh, uh, an apt time because I just had a, a, a kind of running man shot of you like this frozen for a second there, John. <laughs> so uh, it looks like uh, the time has run out and good timing. Um, we are overjoyed to have you once back uh, again to Global Series. Thanks for uh, gracing us with some fantastic information. And uh, I'm, you know, great, um, based on the, the comments, this has been a truly um, uh, inviting and rewardable um, uh, talk. So thank you so much, John, for, for being a part of it. No problem. If I didn't get around to questions that people had asked, if they, they just file them across on LinkedIn, I'll be happy to try and deal with them. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, Paul. See you, mate. Take care. Cheers. All right. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We always appreciate John's time. As you know, he is a long-term content partner on the HSE Network, and we look forward to welcoming him back soon for another talk. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.